Hello, and welcome back to the History of Gay Sex podcast. Today we will be discussing the recent film Benedetta, which covers one of the first examples of female same-sex sex in recorded Western history. I have a special guest from Bridge and Tunnel podcast, and whose podcast I, ha- I was on last summer, Bell Book and Scandal. Quentin, welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. How are you? I'm good. I've been off for a week, so I have really been chilling. Oh, that sounds nice. What you just, what, what, how'd you get a week off? In New York, they call it midwinter break. Oh, but you get so, spring break too, right? Yeah, we get spring break too, yeah. Oh, that sounds nice. I know, but our school year does go until like June 26th, so. Oh, that's long. Yeah, I'm in education. I'm not going to say where or anything like that on this podcast. (laughs) That's what I I do. Did you do anything fun for for the week off? No, I was going to go visit a friend in Washington State. So I was actually going to be in your neck of the woods, sort of. Um, But I canceled it and I just laid around. I really barely left my bed. So, hey, sometimes that's nice. There's nothing wrong (laughs) with that. So you have a new... You, well, I guess you not too terribly new, but you have a newish podcast. I would say it's pretty new. I think we put our first episode out in November. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, go ahead. I want you to talk about it because I listened to it and it's really good. You're a really good. You're a better podcaster than me. And and you share, <laughs> you had me on Bell Book and Scandal, which is on hiatus right now, which was also really good. But yeah, I wanted you to talk about Bridge and Tunnel. Okay. Um, yeah, so I did, I, we, I did a podcast for a while called Bell Book and Scandal, which Stuart was on, um, and that episode's definitely still available. Um, and hopefully that comes back someday, but my newest project is called Bridge and Tunnel and my friend Leah, um, Williams, who's in comedy, um, and actually produces a lot of comedy shows in New York, um, and also works at TV Guide now. Um, so she's in the, we always make fun of her. She's in the industry, um, officially, but yeah, she, um, we do recaps of bridge and tunnel movies. And if you're not from the New York area, the joke is that bridge and tunnel is like people from like Long Island and Jersey and upstate. And it's kind of like your Sopranos type people. So every movie that we do is like, it has to be bridge and tunnel in one way or another, which we define as like the central story is an outsider coming into New York. Um, and there's a lot, like the next one we're doing is cruel intentions, which I don't know if ever anyone remembers this, but the opening of that movie is Reese Witherspoon's character moving to New York from Kentucky. I thought they were in high school. Well, they're in high school. Yeah. But she moves with her family. Oh, I had, I don't remember that at all. I know we were texting before this, and I very much remember Ryan Phillippe and um, oh my god, what's her face's like cocaine habit? But <laughs> Michelle Geller. Yes, thank you. But I have not, I have not watched that movie since. Like, honestly, it blew my mind. I like. I mean, I don't want to get into it. I want to save it for the Bridge and Tunnel pod. But there's, I forgot like every plot point of that movie. Like, I kept being, like, shocked. Also, Selma Blair plays, like, a 13-year-old in it, and she was almost 30. Oh, really? She was was 28 in 1999. Well, I guess it's not... I mean, it's super common to be, like... Yeah, but her character's supposed to be in eighth grade, Stuart. (laughs) God. She's starting starting high school the next year. This character's supposed to be an eighth grader. (laughs) (laughs) That's creepy to think about now. Like, I remember watching it in high school, so it seemed kind of relevant to my age, not really to my, like, socioeconomic situation. <laughs> but, like, like, now thinking about it, it's just like, God, what twisted, like, fuck, like, high schoolers. I know. It's it, it's pretty fucked up. And it definitely could not be made uh, in this day and age. I mean, like, literally the main hero of the movie date rape someone revenge porn someone yeah uh blackmails a gay guy with uh oh yeah with a, like sex tape it's like honestly it's kind of like euphoria but if if like euphoria was trying to be like a teen heartthrob like <laughs> like rom-com kind of you know yeah oh i could totally see that well um, so 
So, but you're you're here today, and this is I have to say to everyone, you are the inspiration for today's episode. <laughs> um, we were going to do Eric Cervini's book, and you suggested so Deviant's War, which we both have been reading. But you suggested something that I think is way better, and the first contribution we have towards non male sexual history. Um, so. For people who continue listening after this point, I will be very proud of my listeners. Um, but yeah, so we are going to be talking about a historical figure who who has a movie on her recently, um, which was, I guess it kind of surprised me at first. So the, the director is Dutch, but it was filmed in French and takes place in Italy. Yeah, th- that's like completely unexplainable to me. I don't really <laughs> understand why. Because I was trying to figure out if they would have spoke French in that part of Italy, but the answer is no, they wouldn't have. Um, they definitely would have been speaking Italian at that time period. So, but let's introduce the let's yes, introduce the, yes. the, the person. So it's Benedetta Carlini. Is the figure? Um, yeah, and the books yeah. are, are the movies Benedetta. The movie's just called Benedetta, but the historical figure is uh, Benedetta Carlini. And for Stuart's listeners, I would just say I think the history of gay sex includes, you know, non-binary people and women. Because I, I, I've heard women say I'm gay. I've heard that. For one. sure. Yeah. For sure. Unfortunately, from a historical perspective, except for today's content, same sex sex amongst women is just like so undocumented it's well that's part of what i found so fascinating yeah. about this movie and this character is it's actually like a real like pa- like papal court case mm-hmm. um where there was like true documentation so it's like it kind of proves that like excuse me they were there all along you know um, yeah even even though it was something that was thought of as like so beyond like the possibility, you know? Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder too, how much is out there. Cause you, I mean, like you mentioned, this is all written record that was just sitting, I don't know, in like the Vatican vault or wherever somewhere before for hundreds of years before being talked about. Yeah, Um, definitely. It was not like a thing. Um, But let's go through the movie first. I think, right. Before we get into the historical stuff. So the movie opens with, and this is, uh, we're going to do a, a bridge and tunnel style recap, and then we're going to do a history of gay sex style uh, history rom. Okay. So and we are, do- we're spoiling the movie for those who. Oh yeah. Yeah. The yes. movie's going to be totally spoiled, yes. although it happened in the 1500s. So. So if you really want to see the movie and you don't want to be surprised, or you want to still be surprised, then go watch mm-hmm. it now and then come back. <laughs> but honestly, I think it's a movie you could enjoy, even if you know the entire plot. Um, so it starts with young Benedetta Carlini. She's traveling with her family, um, to Pescia, which is a town in Italy. I'm actually not entirely sure where it is. It's like Northern Tuscany. So it's like almost, uh, the Genoa region. So like, it's like Northwest of Florence. Okay. Yeah. And Pescia at this time is like a growing urban metropolis. I read a little bit about that. So that's that's part of what you're seeing in the, the um, film. Anyway, they get accosted by a group of robbers when they stop to uh, sing and pray to the Mary statue. And you find out in this kind of exchange with these robbers that Benedetta is going to be given to a convent by her wealthy parents, um, which was really common at that time period. We'll get into in the history section, but a lot of aristocratic women who were like second or third (laughs) daughters were given, or like maybe like uglier daughters, um, (laughs) were given to uh, the convents and that's where they lived. Um, Anyway, she starts talking to this bird and the bird is like, uh, she says the the, ver- the bird is the Virgin Mary yelling at these robbers. And then almost immediately after that, the bird shits in one of the robbers' faces. And we're supposed, this is something the movie does the entire time. It like toys with us. Like, are, is Benedetta experiencing like true mystical supernatural things? Or is this just like, is she sort of just like, interpreting her world and everyone around her is interpreting it as supernatural or the third option is that she's like a grifter and I feel like the movie sort of plays with you know what I mean like don't you think it never really reveals whether she's like legit or whether she's lying or whether she's 
It definitely doesn't. And I, well, I might get in this into this a little bit later. So I had my own theory about it, or I guess I had my own interpretation of what I wanted the case to be, like the in the terms of like the, um, like the the plot. Um, okay, so we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we 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 get to the convent, and Charlotte Rambling's here, who looks amazing. She's the mother superior, of course. Um, you should Google young Charlotte Rampling if you never have. She was a she was a fox in the sixties. Um, anyway, she so basically the dad and her haggle over um, the like the bride price because at this time period uh, convents, uh, you know, they took in a dowry for mm-hmm. these aristocratic girls. So Benedetta gets. Um, like placed in the care of this convent and she's like a very religious young girl and kind of the first sign of like a miracle quote unquote is, and this apparently really happened because again, we're going to get into all the historical stuff, but she was praying in front of a statue of Mary and like Mary fell onto her. Um, And then in the movie, she starts uh, suckling at Mary's breast. There's a lot of heretical religious imagery um and that's so then after that we get like we skip 20 years but that's kind of the opening sequence and you kind of get a sense of like benedetta is this like extremely religious uh young woman and um she's kind of you know some of them in the movie at least some of the nuns are from like worse backgrounds and Benedetta's from like kind of an aristocratic background, which you get the impression places her in sort of like a better role. Anyway, we skip forward. She's doing some weird pageant thing. That's the very next scene, right? The, I'm trying to remember. I think it goes like 20 years later and she's literally doing the pageant. Oh yes. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And that's when we get her first, like, vision where she sees Jesus in a field and she runs to him. Mm -hmm. Where they, like, raise her up and her parents are there. Yeah, her parents are there. And so they have this big feast afterwards. And you kind of realize that, like, the mother superior and, like, the head priest of the town kind of function more as politicians than, like, religious figures. Because they have this kind of interesting back and forth about, like, who's going to take control of the next bishop, whatever. I don't know Do you, if you recall that part. I just thought that was interesting because I was like, these people are more like shrewd, like politicians than they are like re- like deeply religious people, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, for a historical perspective really fast, as someone who went, I'm, I'm not, I was not raised Catholic, but I went to Catholic high school and I would have this one theology professor or teacher who would get so defensive of like media portrayals of the catholic church is that and like that is what the catholic church was like at that time i mean it's just like it's simple like it's just plain and simple it's documented that's just like there were it was a political institution all of that um yeah i mean like society was like ultimately theocratic you know yeah um it was like run by the church in a lot of western europe um I mean, even, like, the monarchs were, like, said to be, like, ordained by the Pope and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, that was, like, that was, like, a thing. Um, So, anyway, her mother asks her why she, like, basically her mother asks her what happened during the play. um, And she says that she had this vision. You could tell her mother's, like, a little bit, like, what, bitch? Um, (laughs) Like, doesn't quite believe her. And then, basically, she's going to say goodbye to her parents when suddenly there's this knocking at the convent door and um, this young woman runs in and we find out her name is Bartolomea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And her father is runs in after her and all these sheep and he's calling her a whore and kind of beating her. And Benedetta kind of begs her parents to, uh, pay for Bartolomea to be able to stay at the convent. Um, and yeah, so she gets to stay. Um, we get the first kind of erotic scene of her when she's bathing and like, you know, 
you could tell Benedetta sort of wants to look, but it's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> stressed out about looking. Um, which any gay who spent any time in a locker room in high school can relate to. Oh um, yeah, wanting to wanting to take a peek, but being stressed out about it. So we see that very relatable experience. Um, then they had this scene that I thought was really funny and kind of weird, where they go take a shit together. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. <laughs> It was very, there were a lot of sound effects that I wasn't expecting. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of sound effects. They also wipe their asses with hay, which my boyfriend and I were talking about. Like, we're so glad that we've, I mean, for your listeners, have you talked about this yet? Like, I've listened to most of your episodes, but like having anal sex in the the middle ages, I mean. (sighs) Well, there's definitely no douching back then. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently people, apparently people were using hay as... (laughs) Toilet paper. <laughs> well, it's funny because when that scene happened, I was like, they have to wipe themselves. Like, there's no way that they're, like, if this is going to be historically accurate. And then she grabbed the hay and I was like, that makes so much sense. But for the sex part, I mean, I'm sure olive oil, at least in the in Mediterranean <laughs> parts of the world, were used for lubricant. I'm just more thinking about the cleanliness aspect. Anyway, um, people were less concerned with cleanliness, clearly. Um, Or probably just didn't have the means to be super concerned. Um, Anyway, as they're walking back, Bartolomea suddenly kisses Benedetta. And that's kind of like, you know, and it's kind of sweet. Like, it could be interpreted as like, thank you for saving my life from my Mm -hmm. scary rapist father. But it definitely... A light something in Benedetta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that she didn't know was there before. Um, and then I think the very, um, and then I think the next scene is suddenly Benedetta's like, we'll skip a little bit, but suddenly Benedetta's uh, visions begin to get worse and she starts shrieking in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one can really figure out what's wrong with her. And so they bring her poppy juice, which I really want to try. It seems fun, um, which I'm guessing is just like some sort of opiate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she's drinking all this poppy juice, and like Charlotte Rampling, Mother Superior, decides to move Bartolomea into her cell. Well, and really fast, there was there was some tension that. We skipped over. Oh, I forgot she burns that bitch's hand. Yeah. That's so great. she does punish her for knocking some stuff into, I can't remember what they were. It was with. The- they were silk. They, so this is like a true thing about this convent. They made silk. That's how they were like financially uh, viable. Yeah. And she knocks all these like spools of silk yeah. into this like yeah. boiling pot. Yeah. She makes, so she makes them. So Benedetta makes, makes her pull them out of the boiling water. And severely burns her. They obviously dislike each other a lot at that point. And then, yeah, so then the the abbess makes her go stay with Benedetta. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if they dislike each other. I think Benedetta is just, like, a really intense person. Like, she would be, like, like a borderline personality disorder. (laughs) Like, like art ho if she was in like the real if she was in like 2022 you know what i mean yeah i mean she's got a lot going on in all fairness with her her vision <laughs> and... <laughs> yeah but she would be like the girl with all the pills in her purse and all the <laughs> like at like all the parties if she existed in like 2022 you know um it's just this is this is the context she found herself in you know yeah yeah um Anyway, so then, yeah, so then she starts having these, like, huge fits of pain. They're giving her opiates. It seems to make her visions worse, unsurprisingly. Um, And we don't really know what's going on. There's still, like, totally unexplained whether, like, the movie doesn't really ever take a stance on whether these are really happening or not. Um, But... Oh, there's there's a little bit of nipple play. (laughs) Remember when when she's like... Jesus put the heart in my body and Bartimolomia feels like, is like kind of like tweaking her nipple. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the first like really sexy thing that happens, but this is kind of something we're going to get to in the historical part, but a lot of the sex is wrapped up in this like religious visionary ecstasy, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. They, 
also like I don't know. I, I just thought it was interesting how much that their relationship evolved into being um I don't know. Like I felt like there was a lot of tension with the with the spindles or whatever they were for the silk. And then they quickly go homoerotic again. But they like I guess to kind of bring it in too, during this time she's also having visions of having this like not romantic experience with Jesus. No, I think it is romantic. It I do is, think that it's it like Yes. I mean it's not sexual, rather. It is romantic. No, not, it's not sexual, but I think it's romantic. Yeah. So it's kind of like this weird duality of like her same sex experiences with um with the fellow nun, but then also Jesus, like, he's actually, if you think about it, Jesus is, in the visions, Jesus is totally desexualized because in the, remember in the vision when he's on the cross, he has like, he literally has no penis. Oh yeah. Yes. He's, it's like tucked back. Yeah. Well, I was wondering if, I actually was wondering if she had just literally never seen a man naked. See, I thought it was kind of support, supporting the like homoerotic themes of the film. Well, I just thought it was like, when I saw that, I was like confused, like why they would do like a film that's showing so much, like why would they, why would they do that? And I was kind of thinking, I was like, maybe she's just like literally never seen a penis. And so this is some evidence that this is like all in her head. Cause it, like, even in her, like, even in her like fantasy of Jesus, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, I, yeah, I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's, I mean, it's not like they were restraining themselves in this movie. The fact that having, like, Jesus with, like, fully exposed genitalia. I don't, like, it's not like they were, like, trying to be decent about it. You know what I mean? No, it seemed like a weird choice to me. Because you can't even tell if he has genitalia. It's like, I don't know. It's a, It was a weird scene. Anyway... I'm skipping some visions because I don't think we need to go through every vision. But she's having these romantic visions about Jesus. And in this in this final vision, she gets the stigmata, which is the wounds of Christ on her hands and on her feet um, and on her side, which is actually if there's a lot of famous um, stigmatists, I think they're called, something like that, uh, throughout, throughout history. So the stigmata is like a thing. Um, and after that, she is very, we'll skip some scenes, but she's, you basically see that like the mother superior and the priest of the town want this to become a thing because they want to put Pasha on the map. So they're, they're invested in the stigmata being quote unquote real. Um, Wait, I felt like the mother superior was like very skeptical of it. She's, you're right. She's very skeptical. The priest is really interested in it. Yeah. Because he wants to like ascend and he thinks that if like they have a stigmata and Pesha, you know. Yeah. Cause they say that. So when I was reading about, so they mention St. Francis of Assisi who had, right. who had, who had the first example of stigmata historically, I'm air quoting historically speaking. Um, yeah, and so they mentioned the economic benefit of having like a kind of like a a town or a place that has like um like a saint affiliation where you then have you know people that are coming to pay homage and and you have a lot of pilgrimages there. And yeah, they they I mean they do talk about the economic benefits, but I felt like he was a big believer in her and like in like her visions. Like it seemed like he genuinely felt like Benedetta was this like mystic nun who was like convening with Jesus spirit. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of, to be fair, like a lot of the convent does like yeah. they clearly, they clearly like believe her, but you're right. The mother superior is very skeptical. She shows that Benedetta does not have the cr- crown of thorns on her head. Yes. And immediately afterwards, there's this crazy scene where Benedetta like, falls into something and like you can't the movie never clears it up a hundred percent about whether she like was supposed to have cut her own head or like her head got cut but this is the first time we see the crazy voice yes oh i love that 
Yeah, she speaks in this like exorcist voice and it like screams at them like, how dare you defy me? And this is actually a real thing. Like she, the real Benedetta Carlini claimed to be uh, possessed, not, I guess possessed isn't the right word, but like inhabited by this angel. Yeah. Um, and would speak with this like male voice. Anyway, so this is, this is like, uh, she gets elevated to, she becomes the mother superior. Um, and, uh, the, the mother superior's daughter, um, questions her publicly. And there's this like horrible scene where they make her like whip herself in front of everyone. And like the mother superior does not stand up for her daughter. Um, I actually found out like how she could have a daughter. I guess I'll quickly say this, but this, this convent historically speaking, was not, um, it wasn't an f- official convent until partway into Benedetta Carlini's life. So they were actually just like cloistered religious women. They mm-hmm. weren't considered nuns at first. So this other woman had clearly like was a widow or something. That's, mm-hmm. how, she had, that's how she had a daughter. Um, anyway, so Benedetta is now running the show and this is where, shit gets real with the sexy stuff because Bartolomea and Benedetta have their own private like quarters now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the very first night they, yeah, they have sex. Um, <laughs> how they consummate their relationship in a much more penetrative yeah. way. It's a pretty like dark, a lot of the sex scenes are pretty dark, actually. They're not very joyful. Um, no. Like, you could, you could tell, like, like at first, Bartolomea is sort of, like, in control. She's, like, the dom. Yeah. But yeah. Then it kind of, but then it kind of morphs, and Benedetta seems to have more control. Yeah. I would say. But none of the sexual encounters seem like... I mean, it's unsurprising, given the environment they're in, but none of them seem to be, like fully joyful so fun like they're kind of these like intense like (laughs) i don't know do you know what i mean well she's like benedetta is like i wouldn't say she's like an anti-hero but there's like this weird element where she's the protagonist but also like it's like you said it's like if she is she a grifter is she is she lying is it real like it's not like a super clear-cut role in terms of her character and then her relationship. She's maybe a little bit evil. Potentially, yeah. I mean... I mean, she's abusive to Bartolomea at least once in a very <laughs> physical way. Yes. And and then, you know, there's like clearly... Yeah, I, I do think there's a shift in their relationship that we're supposed to see where like Bartolomea is like the worldly like woman who's like, you know, has all this experience and understands the female body. And then I think like Bernadetta starts to take like more control, you know, mm-hmm. um, the craziest sex scene, which I'm, I'm sure the church is not going to like this one <laughs> is the uh, Bartolomea basically fashions a dildo out of a Mary statue. Yes. Yeah. And they begin to use that. <laughs> <laughs> That was, I mean, yeah. So meanwhile... Uh, I was looking forward to that because when you texted me about the movie, I think that was like the second thing you said. <laughs> <laughs> was you have to watch... Well, I, I thought I read, you have to watch this movie. They use a crucifix as a dildo. So I was like waiting for that. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's the Mary statue. <laughs> <laughs> the Mary statue. <laughs> Which actually I was more into, but... We're, it's like kind of incorporating some more divine femininity in their uh, homoerotic so their play. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I don't want to take too long on the movie because I want to talk about the historical stuff. But yeah, basically, Charlotte Rampling, who's the old mother superior, is spying on them through, my boyfriend pointed out, a giant hole in the wall. I know. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I know. It's almost like comical or like, yeah. But they... Yeah, so then they go. So she tells she goes to Florence to um, 
Right. So I guess, yeah, we'll skip a, we'll skip a few things. Cause I, I, does she go to Florence before or after the comet? That's what I can't remember. Before or after. Um, it's kind of like yeah. during in some ways. Cause the comet's still around when she, when, she Florence. Gets, when she gets back. Yeah. But her daughter commits suicide and then she goes. Okay. So during this, like, so basically there's a comet. Bernadetta says that no one in the town should be scared because the comet is, uh, is, it means that the plague is not coming to Pesha. And then the daughter commits suicide. And that's when the old mother superior, Charlotte Rampling, goes to Florence to report this. Um, in Florence, she meets with, like, I guess a bishop or whatever. Yeah. Who's clearly living with a heavily pregnant mistress. Um, Who so she, the movie- yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. This She, like, shows... She's, like, about to give birth. Like, she's that pregnant. And... <laughs> She shows that she's lactating already. I that that and she just squeezes her breast and like milk comes out, which I did not expect. But kind of, I don't know. I feel like that scene alone shows you. Okay, I'm trying to think of that. So that scene alone shows you how critical certain takes of that this movie is of the church, especially like his role. Because I would say that this movie is not, like, anti-Christian in a way. I mean, it, like, it is, but it's more it's more critical of church governance and, like, hierarchy. Um, yeah, I think it's mostly critical of, like, I think it's mostly critical of, like, like organized religion. Not yeah. really, like, like, it doesn't really ever come down on the side of, like, whether Benedetta is, like, a real mystic or not. Right, know? right. But yeah, so that is, I think it was a nuncio. I don't know the position he is. He's basically like a, well, I read at least in, on Wikipedia that he was like a historical, or he was like the, the Bishop of Florence, I think. Okay. Well, so anyway, yeah. So that woman that's his mistress squirts milk into <laughs> at, at the head, at the madam. So like, yeah, it's really trying to show like the church is like, full of like hypocrites. Anyway, so they go back to Pesha and Benedetta has like ordered the town to close the gates, which actually is like a smart move. Because the bubonic plague is taking place. Right. (laughs) And there's outbreaks everywhere. There's a pandemic. There's a pandemic, yeah. And I think Benedetta made the right call with the closing the gates thing. Anyway... Um, the bishop guy, Nuncio, whatever his name is, shows up and demands to be let in. There's like a kind of lame showdown at the gate. They let him in really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I was disappointed <laughs> by that. Um, and then when they get there, Benedetta has died. Yes. <laughs> so she, she just collapses. She just collapses. She's laying in this coffin. <laughs> To be fair, she looks dead. She looks dead. He almost, I mean, there are several people that are interacting with her body that seem to be in the belief that she's not alive. Like, she seems very dead for a lot of people. Yeah, they think she's dead at the convent. And and as far as we know, she, I mean, yeah, again, the movie doesn't, like, put a stance. Um, but the nuncio is, like, looking over her. And then she suddenly, like, rises out and starts screaming, like, no, Lord, let me stay with you. And, like, she's, like, brought back. And the Nuncio's like, well, you're still going to go on trial, even though you rose from the dead. And, oh, and we see some scenes of the townspeople bringing her, like, flowers. So I actually read that, like, the the peasant people, like, forever, like, respected her and thought of her as, like, a mystic. So she did, like... She did get the town's, like, peasant people to, like, be really into her. Yeah, yeah. Which the movie didn't do a good enough job of showing, but she had some power, like, in the Mm -hmm. town. She wasn't, like, this, like, powerless. Um, Anyway, so she gets put on trial. There's this horrific... Yeah, for sodomy. There's this horrific um, torture scene of Bartolomea, which I actually read is, like, not historically accurate. That, okay. like, tor- that torture device didn't exist, but they, like, put this, like, I don't even know how, I don't even really want to describe it. Do we have to describe it? No, it just, it, it involves, like, we'll just say vaginal torture. I think that's... <laughs> yes, but I googled this torture device. If you really want to Google it, it's called, like, the the pair of 
something like the pair of pain or I don't even remember. Anyway, it's not, it wasn't real. It's not like a, it's like they found these objects that look like that. They don't really know what they're for, but they're probably not for what the movie showed them being for. Anyway, Bartolomea caves, which fair. Yeah. Um, I probably would cave too. And, um, yeah, she, she says that they are having sex. She shows the dildo then they're gonna burn Bernadetta Carlini. This this Benedetta Carlini. This didn't happen either. Um, she wasn't ever put to to put death like that. This, so they had to. But they, yeah. Anyway, there's this giant kerfuffle. It turns out the bishop is like already infected with the plague. Wait, wait, so- no, no, no. Okay, wait. Sorry, we we passed over my favorite part. So when she when when they torture uh, Bartolomea. And she confesses, and then they go confront um, Benedetta about it. She then goes into her demonic, not demonic, she gets into her like inhabited Jesus moment, and she screams at the um, the old abbess and the bishop that they're blasphemous, and she does it in her voice, and that they're going to get the plague. Oh, and it's right. like, and it's like you kind of know that she's, um, you kind of know that she's like foretelling what's going to happen later on, which they both get it. They both get the plague, right? And it's a good. It's honestly, again, like a, the movie's playing with us because it's a, it's a decent guess. They've come from Florence, where the plague is like everyone's <laughs> got it there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like again, like the movie's playing with us, like. Yeah, but it's, like, a decent guess. Anyway, so then they, like, try to burn Benedetta, but the town... This is where they really show that she... I wish they'd shown more of how she, like, garnered the townspeople's, like, favor. But anyway, the town rises up. They cut her down from the stake. They kill the bishop. And he asks Benedetta if she saw him in heaven or hell, and she says heaven. And then he says, you lie to me <laughs> And then that woman stabs him. <laughs> yeah, and then that woman stabs him. Um, and then the old abbess, Charlotte Rampling, walks right into the fire for, like, totally inexplicable reasons. I mean, she's already she's already dying. She's Yeah, she's but, ready to close the death, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just kind of like, I would just go ahead and choose to... I would choose a less painful death, I think. Um, I'd go get some of that poppy juice and just, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, I I don't think, I wouldn't choose the fire for myself. Anyway, Bernadetta escapes and her and Bartolomea are like sleeping in a shack outside of town. And Bernadetta is like, I have to go back. And like in a final kind of epigraph, they tell us that she did not get martyred. She got, 40, 35 or 40 years of imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the end yes. um, of the actual, so we could talk, like, do you want to talk about just like, we could just go through like what was real. Yes. Well, so I, I, I guess first and foremost, as we mentioned, this is like one of the first historical accounts of like a lesbian affair or like same, or, like homosexuality amongst women. Yes. Um, which makes it really, really important from a historical perspective. Um, Definitely. And they actually, yeah, there's like a word for it, which she was like accused of, um, heretical spirituality. Well, so in real life, she said, they, they said that she, if she used the excuse that she was possessed by demons, it would like make her less guilty than if she said that she did it on her own. So if she was like, oh yeah, I'm like having sex with women and I like women, it would be, you know, she would get put right. in the bath or whatever. But if she, but she was, but then they determined that these angels that were inhabiting her were actually demonic possessions. Um, the names she came up, I mean, maybe she didn't come up with them, maybe it's real, but the names for the angels are ridiculous. Like, They're the so one, ridiculous. We do have it for the, uh, the one that, like, she says possesses her was Splendatello. <laughs> Which sounds like, I don't know, just like Splenda, but like an Italian. Like Splendid or Splenda, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's like a, that's actually like a controversial, that's a good point to bring up. Like, that's like sort of a controversial, uh, not controversial, but like 
scholars who write about her are like, is should she be described as a lesbian nun or was yeah. something more was something more complicated going on? Because she did claim the sex was through this like kind of like yeah, like religious ecstasy or possession. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, maybe she was having some she maybe she was just bisexual. I mean <laughs> Yeah, obviously, like, terms like gay and lesbian did not exist. So it's funny when people argue about, like, yeah, identity like that, given these, like, super pastimes. But Bartolomea was real. Yes, they they at least had a historically documented sexual relationship. Yes, and they were tried. Well, I guess Benedetta was tried. Bartolomea, they don't know exactly what happened, but they think that she... Um, might have been just considered a victim in the whole thing. Um, I want to go through the points in the movie that the movie got right. Okay. Um, she was born to a wealthy, like kind of pro- a wealthy but provincial family. She was having visions from the time she was a child. There's actually a really pretty story about this nightingale that allegedly followed her around singing to her at all times. That was like a legend about her. Um, which I thought they should have included that. That was that, that was that seemed like a sweet <laughs> thing about her childhood. Maybe unedited version of this movie. Yeah. So then they get to she does they she did join. It wasn't actually called a convent. It's like really complicated, but I guess it was just like a community of like Catholic women who were like striving to live like a. It's like a commune. Yeah. I guess they were creating like an order, like a. They were trying. They were trying to, but like until like basically like until the Pope gives you what was called like seclusion, like you weren't, at, which is when you're like you can't leave anymore, like you're just in the convent, like. So they actually did go like out into the town and stuff like that, um, and they did have like business dealings and things like that. So the silk is all real, um, and then eventually they do get the seclusion like order and they do become nuns. But when Benedetta first gets there, they're not actually nuns. Um, yeah. And I guess the craziest thing that I was shocked they did not include that I read in the, the article was that she actually convinced like all these people to come to her, like what she called her wedding of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, <laughs> that was that was where I was kind of like this bitch is crazy like when I was reading that and like not like there's not, nothing real going on because apparently like no one could see anything she was talking about but like she had this like whole ceremony and I don't know well the okay so historically speaking that when nuns would go into I guess when women would go into convents and become nuns, or at least get into this kind of religious involvement, I guess there was a term about being like kind of married to Christ. Like you were like taking up this. Yeah. But she went ahead and like really took it to this like whole new level of like. She had like a wedding with had, Jesus. Yes. Yes. And there was like, and that was I, historically speaking when, when the church really started to investigate her because they thought, things were getting kind of out of control or at least like, I don't know. It's kind of weird. Cause like back then it was very, it was very public at that point. Yes. Which according to what I've read, they felt like if you had visions, but you weren't public about it, that made it more authentic than if you were like, well, yeah, I mean, they kind of like, cause I guess there was this, the question was not, and this, I guess, is historically accurate, whether or not these visions were, like, true or the result of mental illness. The question was, are the visions demonic or Christ-like? Yeah. So that was, like, so they, so they would have never questioned the way you and I are. Like, you know, you and I are, like, is she mentally ill? Is something Like, you know what I mean? They would have never had questions like that. Like, the question would have just been, like, demonic or godly. Like, you know, um, and so that's really what they were like trying to figure out. And I guess the wedding sort of tipped the scales into like, maybe there's some demonic shit going on. Yeah, I have to say that when, from the historical perspective about the 
uh, um, accusations of of sodomy that like I don't know like some there's just so many historical examples of uh, accusations like that being used to defame someone when even though there was no historical basis and so like what one time I was thinking I was like well maybe maybe because she had this kind of like folkish um almost like like when you were mentioning about how the townspeople really started to like her and it was yeah she was considered a respected mystic in the town mm -hmm. and i wonder the if they tried, if they tried to use that to take back that power at least take the power away from her that if accusations of of sodomy would um you know be able to to accomplish that but it's interesting because they like with the fact that this is the first time it would have been that female homosexuality was talked about and written about at least that, that we've been able to see to this point um i don't know i mean it kind of makes me think twice about that that it must be so exceptional that maybe it wasn't just some baseless accusation well she does kind of admit to it according to like the article we read like she says that like, she doesn't admit fully to it, but she says like, when Splendatello was inside of me, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, yeah. So she kind of like opens the door for there to be like <laughs> the possibility that, and I guess then she is further defamed because like some of the other, the, the hole in the wall thing, I guess was sort of real. Um, Cause they, they apparently nuns did see her like making, making her wounds herself. Although it doesn't say that they, saw her actually having sex with Bartolomea. And they, they they kind of historically accurately show the struggle to even, like, talk about it, because they're not even sure. I thought that was Bartolomea. That was a good move by Bartolomea when she was like, oh, I don't even understand. Like, what do you... Like, I was like, yeah, that's like... That would definitely be my move, too. Like, just be like, I've never even heard of such a thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, she is, like... She's, it's kind of weird because she's like sort of convicted, but um, not entirely punished, or like not so she's she's like she's not okay. I guess convicted is wrong. She's they decide that she did do all the things that she's accused of, but they don't think that she like consented to them in the sense that like they do believe that she was overrun by like spirits and demons, and like it's not like her fault. Mm -hmm. But then she does get kind of sequestered. She's in like a weird nun jail state for like the rest of her life. Yeah, it does seem like that's true um, that she does get imprisoned and that her like imprisonment would have been pretty harsh. Um, but they they don't really know. They're just saying like what would have ha like what would have happened if like t what would have happened typically speaking if a uh, nun was put in like nun prison, but she lives a long time. I mean, yeah. she lives like another, I mean, for that time period, she lives to the age of 71. Um, and they're not sure exactly how much of the time she was imprisoned, but probably for a significant period of it. And it would have sucked. I mean, she would have really been like isolated and alone and like only allowed out for mass, which sounds really exhausting. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, just reading about the lifestyle is intense. Like, I mean, you know, there's definitely like the homoerotic nature of the film, which is like scandalous and salacious to watch. But then from reading about what was going on at that time, and they're, they're, I guess they were trying to at least like not rationalize, but try to figure out what the the visions were and they were saying about how the nuns would fast for i don't know like days and that this was like a oh totally fasting, yeah. which is so intense like the stuff that they were doing is like unimaginable the way they were living was yeah i mean they whip they they whip themselves mortification of the flesh was mm -hmm. a part of it um, which seems extremely painful. They, yeah, they would fast for long periods of time, which again, sounds awful. Um, 
Like I'm starving like right now. Oh my God, me too. <laughs> I like, can't even like imagine like if I like wasn't able to eat for like another week because <laughs> I was trying to get closer to God. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what happens to her. She does get imprisoned. Um, and then the, the only thing, that, the only record of what happened to Bartolomea is this one short uh, journal entry from another um, nine that's, I guess parts of it were missing. So they don't even exactly know all of, but here's what, here's the sentence. Sister Bartolomea died when sister Benedetta Carlini was engaged in those deceits. Note in this book on page, and there's a blank. She was her companion and was always with her. And because of this, she experienced many difficulties in temporal affairs. She worked as hard as she could. And in spiritual affairs, she was very devoted and totally given over to holy prayer. So this, like, I guess scholars think that that sentence means it's likely that she was like considered an innocent victim in all of this and got to just kind of be a regular nun. Um, Whereas Benedetta was in like nun jail. Um, But they don't really know. So I like to imagine that maybe they still got to chill a little bit. I guess hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So then back to the movie, what is your take on, like, if you had to choose, was she lying? Was she crazy? Or was she, chosen by like, you're asking me what i think the film believes like yeah. what the like what the film is trying to say um i'll put it this way i think the film believes that she believes in what's going on okay yeah i agree with that i think the film gives her that i think the i don't think the i think the film thinks shows a benedetta that believes that what is happening to her is actually religious. And I do, I do think that they attempt to sort of like uh, exonerate her in that way. And I I think, I think, and I think as far as the other religious, as far as far as how the other religious figures are portrayed in the film, I mean, Benedetta comes off significantly more sympathetic than the rest of them. Yes. Yes. Cause as I mentioned earlier, with the nuncio, the the bishop guy who has the like very pregnant mistress, um, there are aspects of this that's very critical of the church, but they're not critical of Benedetta's religiosity, and and they do show her to be very authentic, even though they do leave a little room for skepticism from the viewer's part um, throughout the entire. Yeah, I, I think that like the thing, the line that Benedetta says, which I do, I, this is where I like kind of, I'm like, I do believe her is she's like, even if I was doing this stuff to myself, like God is acting through me. And I do think she believed that. Like, I do think she believed like, yeah. as far as like what was actually happening with this lady, like I have no idea. I'm not like totally, are you like an atheist? Um. I'm like agnostic. I'm definitely not Christian. Yeah, I feel like agnostic. So like I, I I'm open to I'm not like totally closed to the possibility of like spiritual stuff. So like as far as what was really going on with this lady, who knows? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's a possi- there's a possibility it was she did have like some spiritual revelations. There's a possibility she was severely mentally ill. There's a possibility that she was an actor and sort of a political um, environment that, you know, caused her to kind of make things up to seize a sort of power. I mean, all three of those things are entirely possible in my mind. So historically speaking, obviously I think it was all bullshit, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but like in the like parameters of this film, I almost kind of view it as this like Christian historical revision of like, we're going to celebrate this like, like queer, mystic nun as like being this um like like in like commune with god like i don't know i kind of i guess it's almost like if like quentin tarantino had this like historical revisionist like nun film like almost something like that where like like i said i agree that the film is ultimately on her side i think it is but like and like and that the, I think I'm trying to think like does she do anything I find like 
totally unforgivable in the film. I mean, not really, not as unforgivable as like what other people do, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think like the mother superior not standing up for her daughter in that moment was so cowardly. And then like going to like rat out Benedetta was cowardly. Um, Obviously Nuncio is like deeply corrupted. Um, Yeah. You know, and as far as like Bartolomea goes, like, I mean, I guess that's the worst, quote unquote, like, that's the worst thing she does, right? Is she like does let Bartolomea suffer this like punishment in the torture chamber? Oh, yeah. And they all, because they all hear the screams and you can kind of. Right. So that's, that's, that's probably like the worst, I guess, like thing that she. And that's bad. (laughs) I mean, I just love, and not to get off on a tangent with this, I just love how they're like so holier than thou about like appropriate behavior and like sexuality and nudity and all this stuff. And here they are like dragging her down into this basement to torture her naked. And I'm just like, God, like, can you get more like duplicitous about this? Like it's just, and they're like, you know, vaginally torturing her. (laughs) I mean, it's just like, it's like that I can believe certainly happened in terms of like that, kind of behavior like i know you mentioned that this torture device isn't real but i'm but like i can oh i mean i'm sure that like women were like raped and like yeah you know i'm sure like that happened in torture environment none of that would shock me i in fact i 100 percent know it happened like yeah well there were popes that had kids like i mean yeah it's no, but I mean, like in the torture aspect, like I'm oh. sure, tor- I'm sure torture for women was way worse than torture. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure there was like gross, sadistic torturers and stuff like. So I can believe that that torture scene is like vaguely historically accurate, even yeah. if like even if that specific method wouldn't have been used. Yeah, you know? no, for sure, for sure. Um, and I definitely, I do think that like the revisionist, the little bit of like the revisionism comes in and like. It, just, it does seem like Bartolomea... I, I guess, like, the film is positing that, like, you know, women had figured this out regardless of what, like, society thought. Because Bartolomea seems to pretty quickly know what she's doing with Benedetta's vagina. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess when you have one... But I guess, like, we can assume... They figured, I, I guess we could assume even if lesbianism wasn't like written about or talked about, they had like figured out what to do with their like own bodies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think <laughs> any human figures that out even without any kind of education. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It just seems like she was so quickly ready to, um, to go there. But yeah, I mean, and, Be- and Bartolomea had better on the block. She'd had a rough, she had a rough go of it. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Yes, she did with her incestuous rapist father. Um, is, it, is, is there anything? Do you have any? Is there anything you want to add or like last talk talk you want to do? Um, out of all of the recent queer female movies that you've seen, you think it's good, mm-hmm. bad? From like the like, do you recommend it? Do you? I recommend it. I wonder if queer women will actually like it. I mean, that's like something I'm curious about. I think most of your listeners are gay men. For sure. Is my guess. But um, you should watch it anyways. It's still a good movie. I I think that I think it's really good. And I think like I think people I do think people would be interested in it. Um, I could see a certain sort of like gathering of people drinking wine and being like whoa i mean this at least would like my type of gay friends they would be interested in that type of hangout if you're really normie i maybe wouldn't pick this one (laughs) (laughs) but if you have like sort of like weirdo gay friends who are like into like art house films i think this could be something like you know our friend like i feel like reese and i would like really like watching this together yeah um i don't know i i don't i can't speak for queer women obviously i don't 100 percent know how they would feel about it i mean it is a lesbian film directed and written by men so there's that yeah um some of the nudity and sex is certainly gratuitous there's no question about that some of the violence against female bodies is gratuitous. So I could see there being, I could definitely see there being critiques from queer women. 
um, about how the film treats lesbianism, kind of like there was with Blue is the Warmest Color. I don't know if you saw that. I haven't, but I know it's supposed to be good, but is it not? No, no, it's good. I mean, I actually actually did see that with Reese, and I remember we were, like, screaming in the theater because the sex scene was so crazy. Um, it goes on for, like, 15 minutes. Um, really? <laughs> but there were, there were definitely critiques after that movie from women queer and otherwise that like the nudity and the sex was like deeply gratuitous and like clearly very like male gaze Oh, you know? really? Yeah. And I think, I think that that could be argued for this film too, in a way. It's, I don't know. I kind of felt, I felt like the homosexual aspects of it were like, it's like a movie that has homosexual elements in a way. It's not like a gay movie. I know we're like talking about like, like. Well, the sex also like I'm just trying to think like was the sex like meant to be titillating to like straight men? And I don't. Like, it's definitely, I think it's definitely very important for the movie. But I know what you're getting at, or for the story. But I know what you're getting at, and. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm saying it's an open question to me. Like yeah. I don't know if the like if because these are like, if it be, because it was directed by men, you can argue the sex scenes were meant to be viewed. Like they made them to be titillating to straight guys. Or if that's like an overread, they're not as titillating as some lesbian sex scenes I've seen. Like, you know what I mean? Like there were definitely more, it was definitely more. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's, I, it could be kind of bored. I think it could go either way versus some other stuff that's clearly like gratuitous and like mate and like made like sexualizing women. lesbianism. Yeah. For the sake of like male pleasure. Um, I don't think lesbians would find those sex scenes hot to me. No. And there's, actually, I don't think anyone would find them hot. I mean, honestly, the sex scenes are really deep. Like they're kind of like a little disturbing, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, the, the first, as we mentioned, the first instance of, like, this kind of homoeroticism in the film is when she's young and she starts suckling on Mary's teat. And, like, that's kind of your first, like, introduction to homoeroticism. But it's not, like... And then, like, I feel like the dynamic between Bardolina, Bardo, Bartolomia and Benedetta is, like, a, will probably be upsetting for a lot of, like, I could be upsetting for viewers. I mean, literally in the first scene, Benedetta's saying, no, no, no. Bartolomeo's like, oh, no. yes, bitch. Like, you know what I mean? So there is this, like, I mean, again, like, I this this time period was, the idea of consent was far away. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. but there's, and then there's another scene where, like, Benedetta sort of, like, coerces her into, like, showing her her breasts while she masturbates. Do you remember that? Oh, Yeah. And it's like, so there, there are some scenes that are like, kind of like, the, the, the dynamic between these women is like, not like a healthy, joyful dynamic, but there's no way it would have been. I mean, that's really crazy. But I'm like wondering if like, a, if a woman had directed it, maybe they would have imagined a world where something like that was more possible, you know, where it was like more like loving and like. I don't know. Do you think they were in love? Let's ask that. Do you think they were in love? I don't really think so. No, I think <laughs> I think that Benedetta was very much a devout nun who had a liberal view on her vows of chastity or whatever it would be for her for her order. But I yeah, but I don't think I don't think I don't think the film wants us to believe they were like deeply in love. I wouldn't. No, no, I don't think they were in love. But I. Um, but at the end, she is very apologetic of of divulging to the bishop about when she's being tortured. Um, and I think she says something about like, no, nah, she didn't say like, I love you. Just like you're beautiful or something. I don't know. I also just, and then, okay, I also just love when she's like getting taken off to die. Like, it's just like this like dramatic Jesus fashion and like, I don't know. She's just so like fearless about it and just is like so confident and like everything. Yeah, she was going out. She was like, she was giving it to them. She, she was. was. She, she was. was gonna she was gonna give them martyr. If oh, they yeah. wanted martyr, if they wanted martyr, she was gonna give it to them. She was gonna give the people what they wanted. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they but they ended up 
keeping her from dying. They they loved her so much. <laughs> okay, that's a, let's, we can end it here because okay. I, I am starving. But that's the last. That's the last thing I'll say is that uh, at her death, the townsfolk did gather at the. This is like historically true. Okay. Like the townsfolk did gather at the convent and were like interested in taking like you know like they used to take saints' teeth and things like that. Oh like yeah. They, they they still even all that even forty years after the events depicted in the film they still thought of her as an important person. So God, if this one thing, Catholics and communists love their bodies, and it's like, <laughs> oh my God, it's. Have you ever been to Rome or like? I have, but I was a kid, so. Oh my God, you like? Well, if you go into the Vatican, they have like so many popes that are just like they wax them, you know. Anyways. I mean, it's crazy. Like they preserve their bodies, and they have all these saints' bodies. Whether it's like teeth, nails, bones, hair. I did remember someone telling me once that there's like with the amount of teeth of John the Baptist there are, he would have had like seven sets of teeth, like around Italy. Oh, I could believe that. Oh, I could yeah. sure believe that. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for yeah! coming on today. Everyone should listen to Bridge and Tunnel. It's really good. And um, yeah, I hope that. Republican scandal resumes at some point, but like I said, you're a better podcaster than me. So everyone should go listen to everything that you've created. It was fun, Stuart. Thanks. Thank you.